and welcome to From the EBPL Archives, Encore Presentations from the East Brunswick Public Library. I am your host, Melissa Hosick. This event was presented as part of our Just for the Health of It initiative. Just for the Health of It is a proprietary health literacy program developed by the East Brunswick Public Library to promote health literacy in Middlesex County. To learn more, visit justforthehealthofit.org. Now, enjoy the program. Welcome, and thank you for joining us this afternoon for Retirement Income Planning. My name is Kathy Churn, and I am a Consumer Health Librarian at East Brunswick Public Library. Today's program is brought to you by the Libraries Just for the Health of It initiative to promote community health and wellness. Our speaker today is Bradley Basker, financial advisor at Morgan Stanley in Boston. Bradley works with clients to help build a sustainable financial plan to achieve their financial and life goals and maintain their assets for them. He is licensed in New Jersey, New York, Massachusetts, Connecticut, Florida, and Texas. Bradley has already delivered free webinars focused on financial wellness and literacy to companies, synagogues, schools, alumni networks, and public libraries, and enjoys giving back to his communities in this way. Please be aware that this talk is being recorded. Please keep your microphones muted and your webcams off. The recording will be available at ebpl.org YouTube. If you have any questions, please type them into the chat box. Our speaker will answer questions at the end of the talk. And without further ado, I'll turn things over to Bradley. All right, thank you, Kathy. And thank you everyone for being here once again. It's, it's a pleasure to be back. I think this is my fourth or fifth one for the East Brunswick Public Library. And I will be back later this month for planning for long-term care. So I'm looking forward to that. Um, my name is Bradley Basker. I'm a financial advisor at Morgan Stanley, as Kathy said. And I do work with clients all over the country, including in New Jersey. So it's, even though I live in Boston, it's great to be back presenting uh, to the East Brunswick Public Library. And I hope before long, it's an in-person presentation as opposed to over Zoom. Uh, now, is, this month is National Financial Literacy Month in the United States. So it's especially important you know, that we get out there and make sure we educate our, our citizens in the United States about these types of things. And I think retirement income planning is so, so important because for a lot of people, there's so many steps along the way that sort of put, get your retirement pushed to the back burner. And so before you know it, retirement comes upon you and you realize that you don't necessarily have a plan. You haven't figured out how much money you're going to need in retirement. So hopefully after today, you have a sense of you know, what you need to start to do if you haven't yet retired or if you're in retirement, the types of things that you should be considering. Now, if I was in person with all of you, I'd say, can I get a show of hands for how many of you are familiar with retirement income planning? I'd also ask, you know, has anyone here actually started planning for retirement income? If you're in retirement, if you're pre-retirement, uh, since we're doing this virtually, I'm going to leave that interaction out. But I want you to start to think about kind of where are you in the life cycle of someone who's working, pre-retirement or post-retirement. Now, regardless of how much or how little you've done to date, my hope is that this session today gives you some necessary actions you can take to start getting on the right path to enjoying a comfortable retirement. And as Kathy mentioned, Q&A will be pushed to the end of the session. So please feel free to me message me or Kathy privately or simply unmute yourself at the end of the presentation for a live Q&A. Now, if there are any personal questions you'd like to ask that are perhaps uh, tailored to yourself and your situation, you don't wanna share with the whole group, please feel free to reach out to me offline. I'll be providing my contact information as will Kathy in a follow-up email that will get sent out. So let's dive into our agenda. Here's what we're gonna talk about today. 
first step we're going to talk about is envisioning your next chapter and how you want to spend your retirement years. Next, we're going to talk about understanding the risks that stand between you and your vision of retirement. And then finally, we'll develop, talk about how to develop a retirement strategy that helps maximize your likelihood of achieving the retirement that you envision. Now, it seems pretty simple, doesn't it? But each of these steps is surprisingly complex, and we'll start to break that down in further detail. So let's begin with the basics. Before we address the nuts and bolts of actual retirement planning, looking at your income, expenses, allocating your portfolio, et cetera, it's important to first understand what retirement means to you. And you know, we feel at Morgan Stanley, I feel personally, that you should plan your money around your life, not your life around your money. And that's so important, right? You want to live the life that you've dreamed of. You want to live the retirement that you've dreamed of. Let's try to figure out a way to make money fit into that as opposed to let money derive the kind of life that you're going to end up living. So here are some questions to get you thinking about that next chapter in your life. I'm not going to ask for participation at this point, but again, during the Q&A, feel free to answer these questions to me and tell me kind of what your personal situation is. So what does retirement mean to you? You know, picture collecting your last and final paycheck. How old will you be? What will you spend it on? You know, what feelings do you have about possibly working during retirement in some capacity? Do you feel healthy? And are there any reasons you wouldn't assume normal life expectancy? Perhaps you're going to, you know, live a little bit shorter for some reason, right? Is there something to keep in mind that might factor into our decision-making around retirement planning? What about long-term care? Are your parents currently alive? And do you expect that you'll need to help them out? Are there charities that you would like to support in retirement? How would you like to be remembered from a legacy standpoint? So these are all questions to start to think about and start to carve out a, a picture of what retirement would look like for you and then put a plan in place to achieve that. Now, admittedly, this is a lot to think about, but it, and if you're feeling overwhelmed, feel free to talk to someone, whether it's a partner, a parent, a friend, or a financial advisor like myself who can kind of help make this a lot less overwhelming than it might seem to be. You know, we can go over some of these questions systematically and help develop your own personal view of what you really want your retirement to be. Now, what is not a good approach is to put off thinking about these things until you're ready to retire or you're in retirement because you've lost one of the greatest assets that you have when it comes to wealth management, which is time. It's very hard to make up for lost time without taking undue risk. And that's the last thing we want to do, especially in retirement, as we'll talk about coming up. You don't want to take on more risk than you really have to. And so by planning now and being prepared, you'll be able to put yourself in a position to not have to take on risk that you otherwise might regret. Now, for those of us who are able to choose our own retirement dates, it's important to consider the emotional and financial impact that retirement will have. So from an emotional standpoint, you need to think about how you're going to replace the time that you otherwise have been spending at work and the sense of worth that your job might have provided you. You also want to think about how retirement might affect your relationship with your spouse, if you have one, and the dynamics of your household. You're going to be around a lot more than you ever used to be, right? You might be bored. You might be a little bit more cranky because you're stir crazy. I mean, these are small things to think about, but there definitely is an emotional component to retirement. Now, as for the financial impact, delaying retirement even a few years could significantly increase the amount of income you'll have available for retirement. You should qualify for higher Social Security benefits, for one. We'll talk more about that. And as long as you're employed, you should be able to keep making contributions to your employer tax-deferred retirement plans, like a 401k, 403b, et cetera. And so by earning income, you won't have to tap into your savings, which gives them more time to grow. And a later retirement date means a shorter retirement, which means your savings won't have to last quite as long. Now, after figuring out what retirement means to you and deciding what you would like to do during that time, we can then move on to figuring out what it's all likely to cost. 
So what I would like you to do, this isn't something to do right now, but this is an exercise, whether you do it on your own or with an advisor, is to start breaking up your expenses into two categories. Non-discretionary or essential expenses are things like housing, groceries, medical expenses, insurance, and these are unavoidable. Discretionary expenses, or what I like to call lifestyle expenses, are things that you might not need but would like to have. Things like travel, entertainment, dining out, charitable contributions. Those are what we call discretionary expenses. So whatever it is that you spend your money on in retirement, it's important that you try to be as accurate as possible when projecting your expenses. Because that's how you're ultimately going to arrive at a realistic cash flow analysis. How much am I going to need year over year? And how much do I have in the bank to be able to afford that? So how do you actually do this? Start by looking at bank statements, credit card statements, credit card bills, and just create some sort of spreadsheet or tracker that allows you to see in one place, what's my typical average monthly expense? What do I expect it to be? Will it maybe go down? Am I planning on downsizing? And maybe my property taxes won't be as high. Or am I expecting that my medical bills will pick up? So maybe you want to build in some sort of buffer for what your expenses might be in the future. And there are some really good apps out there that allow you to sort of create a budget. I'm not going to throw out any names, but again, if you're someone that likes using apps or websites, they're out there. If you're old school, you just want to do this on a piece of paper or an Excel spreadsheet, you totally can do that. I think it's a very healthy budgetary activity to do. Now, once you tally up all of your projected retirement expenses, we can then look at how you plan to actually meet those expenses. So in other words, we want to help you identify your potential sources of retirement income. So this slide shows you the primary income sources during retirement, you know, based on, you know, 2017 study from fast facts and figures about social security. Identifying when you'll get these payments is just as important as knowing where they'll come from. So social security will most likely start sometime between ages 62 and 70. You may not have access to your retirement accounts until you're 59 and a half years old, right? Your 401k, your IRAs, they have a penalty if you take the money out before you're 59 and a half. So the expectation should be I plan to take that money out after 59 and a half. Now, certain IRAs, like a traditional IRA, has what's called a required minimum distribution where you have to take a certain amount of money out every year, starting with age 72, or 70 and a half if you started your IRA before 2019. So knowing these different timeframes and knowing kind of what the repercussions are of starting sooner or earlier or later is really going to be important to kind of put a plan in place for how you'll actually meet those expenses over time. Okay, so once you've determined what retirement means to you, that's sort of that first step we talked about, how much it will cost and whether you'll have sufficient income, you may want to take a close look at the risks that might be standing between you and your retirement income goals. So some of these risks might seem obvious to you, such as market risk or the rising cost of healthcare, but others may need more explanation. So let's look at the list. Longevity risk is the possibility that you will outlive your assets, right? You might think you will live to your 85, but just, you know, because God decided it this way, you actually end up living to your 95 or 100 years old. So you actually might live longer than you expect and you plan for. Market risk involves not just the possibility that the market will move against you, but that it'll move against you at the worst possible time, immediately before or after you retire and begin withdrawing assets to meet expenses. Inflation risk is the risk that your assets will not grow as fast as the inflation rate and therefore will lose their purchasing power. We'll talk more about that in subsequent slides. Asset allocation risk involves constructing your investment portfolio to pursue not only your retirement, your retirement ambitions, but other goals that are important to you. Excess withdrawal risk is exactly what it sounds like. It's the risk that you'll withdraw too much from your portfolio each year to meet expenses, and therefore 
you may not have as much on the back end of retirement as you thought you might. And then finally, healthcare costs are a source of anxiety for a lot of people approaching retirement. Retiree medical costs are rising faster than general inflation. And the number of in individuals covered by employer health plans in retirement is decreasing. So that makes planning for healthcare costs an integral part of preparing for retirement. So let's talk about each of these considerations in a little bit more detail. Now with medical advances and the increasing emphasis on wellness, people are living longer. That's a fact, they're living healthier lives, which is great news, sort of at, 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 its, uh, at, sort of at the outset. But when you actually think about what increased life expectancy means, it also means that our retirement savings need to last longer than they did for previous generations. And so many people underestimate their lifespan and therefore risk outliving their assets. Thus, when building your retirement income plan, allow for the possibility that you'll live longer than you think. Many people spend as many years in retirement as they did in their careers. And so you can see on this slide, there's a bunch of stats. A 60-year-old man has a 62% chance of living to at least 80. A woman in the same situation has a 71% chance of living to 85. Sorry, I said 80 before. It's 85 uh, years old. And the probability that at least one of a partnership, right, with a, a husband and a wife, husband and husband, wife and wife, whatever it is, right, at least one of them will live to 85 is 89%. So the point is, 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 even if you feel like you may not live that long, I mean, I hope we all live in deep into our 90s and our 100s, but even if you feel like you're not going to live that long, there's a better likelihood than not that the average person is going to live at least to 85 years old. And so you want to make sure that you plan for that. When we put together financial plans for clients, we build in a 92-year-old life expectancy for a man and a 95-year-old life expectancy for a woman, just based on statistics. And so we're not banking on the fact that they're just going to live into their 80s. We build into account the fact that they're likely going to live into their 90s. Worst comes to worst, God forbid you end up passing, out, uh, passing away earlier than you expected. Okay, so now perhaps your family will inherit more than you expected. And so that's the plan. Build in a little bit of a buffer in case you live longer than you expect. Now, there's always the issue of market risk. What happens if the stock market plunges the month you decide to retire? So no one knows when the market is going to do, uh, you know, go up or go down or what the market's going to do one year to the next. So once you retire and begin to draw on your savings, the timing of returns will have a significant effect on your portfolio. So timing is very, very important. The worst possible time to experience what we call a bear market or a down market is right before and right after retirement, because that's when your retirement money matters the most. And so as a result, you should begin thinking about adopting a more conservative approach to your investments as you get closer to retirement. So we talk about, you know, a little bit more in, in bonds or cash as opposed to being in equities. And we'll talk more about that in a subsequent slide. Now, rather than letting emotions or psychology influence investment decisions or trying to time the market, it might be helpful to consider investing for the long term, especially if you're someone that's in their 40s or 50s and has a bunch of years to go until retirement. So this chart shows the cumulative return of a $1 investment in the S&P 500, U.S. small cap stocks, U.S. long-term bonds, and the 30-day treasury bills from January 1926 to March 2020, just the, the snapshot in time. And so during this period, the S&P 500 generated an average annualized return of about 10%, compared to about 5.6% for government bonds and 3.3% for treasury bills, right? So the take-home lesson is, if you can stay the course and keep money invested in the market, it can result in significant returns over time, but might require a long investment horizon. So for someone that's already in retirement, in their 60s, 70s, and 80s, they may not be able to take on as much risk as someone who's in their 20s, 30s, 40s, and 50s, who has a little bit more time and therefore can invest in the market 
which over the long haul has clearly returned better returns over time. Now, in addition, there's the issue of inflation, right? There's a lot of inflation talk right now with the economy reopening, interest rates were down, the economy's heating up. So there's a lot of talk about inflation. <clears throat> inflation increases the future costs and goods of future of costs and of goods and services, and erodes the value of assets that are set aside to meet those costs. So what I'm showing you on this slide is that even at 2% inflation year over year, your purchasing power would be reduced by 45% over a 30-year period. At 4% inflation, which would be pretty high, it is reduced by 70%. So at that rate, $100,000 today will only buy about $30,000 worth of goods in 30 years. In other words, you have to be able to keep up with the rate of inflation and even get make your returns above that so that your purchasing power is not eroded by the purchasing power of money. As a result, you should think about allocating a portion of your retirement portfolio to investments that have the potential to outpace inflation. We'll talk more about that later, but what I'm saying is you don't want to have your whole portfolio in equities or stocks when you're in retirement, or close to retirement, but if your entire portfolio is sitting in cash earning half a percent in, the, in, a, in a savings account and inflation's on average 2%, you're essentially losing money every day because that, that half a percent is not going to keep up with inflation. Your $100,000 is not going to be able to buy what $100,000 would have you know, 30 years from now. Now, once you've considered the factors that affect your personal financial situation, you'll need to apply them to your overall investment strategy. So that's a big question. How much should I put into stocks and bonds and cash, et cetera? So asset allocation, just by definition, is an investment management strategy that divides an, investment, an investor's investable assets between various asset classes. So equities or stocks, mutual funds, ETFs, fixed income or bonds, and cash equivalents, right? So cash or money market funds, according to your investment objectives that you might have or your risk tolerance. So every asset class, again, equities, fixed income, cash, they have distinct characteristics and are going to perform differently in response to market changes. So therefore, careful consideration must be given to determine which assets you should hold, <coughs> excuse me, and the amount that you should allocate to each asset class. So you think about that pie chart on the slide, you got to think about how much do I want to put in each of those buckets. Now, asset allocation seeks to reduce the volatility of a portfolio and have greater consistency of returns, right? If you have all one type of asset class and that asset class performs poorly, right, everything's going down with the ship. And so you want to make sure that you're diversifying by putting your money in different types of asset classes. Now, over the long term, this risk reduction that I'm talking about can have a significant impact on performance. And so this is particularly important when you're dependent upon the portfolio for income. So when you're no longer working, your investments, whether it's in bonds or cash or um, equities, that's going to essentially prove to be you know, the source of income that you have in retirement. Now, asset allocation decisions are one of the most important factors in determining both the return and risk of a portfolio. And so gr factors that greatly influence those decisions are things like your financial needs and goals, your, the health of your, or sorry, the length of your investment time horizon, and your attitude towards risk. So if you're in general a more conservative person, or you don't have as much time until retirement, or you're already in retirement, or you perhaps plan to fund an expensive trip, or you want to have a second vacation home, that's going to all factor into, okay, well, how much money and how much risk are you going to need to take on to balance out what you'd like that payoff to be? Now, past generations have tended to have a retirement that is not nearly as long as it is today. People worked longer, and they ended up dying earlier. And it was typically funded by Social Security and pension plans. But for those generations, shifting to a conservative portfolio with mostly cash and fixed income 
at retirement was okay. It sufficed. But individuals looking to retire now might not be so comfortable relying on Social Security and pensions. So you have to build a retirement portfolio designed to keep pace with inflation, generate income, and reduce the effect of market downturns. Now, there's a lot of talk right now about will Social Security even exist in 15, 20 years? As of right now, it looks like Social Security is going to run out in 2034. Now, I, I hope that's not the case because I certainly am not planning to retire before then. I'm not eligible for it. I'm paying taxes into Social Security. But the point is, if you're just relying on Social Security and pension, you might not be able to sort of keep up with how long you plan to live or some of the cost of living increases that we're seeing. So the trick is to get the balance right. Too much stock can potentially expose your portfolio to market risk and loss of capital and income. But too much cash and fixed income can expose your portfolio to inflation risk and limiting your upside potential. All right. So again, it's finding that right balance that makes you feel comfortable and allow you to live the lifestyle that you want for as long as you tend to live. Now, a question for you is how much do you think your asset allocation might change as you near retirement, right? As you move towards retirement, the focus of your asset allocation strategy will generally become more conservative and shift from a more equity-driven portfolio to more of a fixed income and cash equivalents portfolio that will provide more income and capital preservation, as we call it. So determining your appropriate asset allocation strategy is critical to providing the income you need while also protecting you living against, or sorry, protect you against outliving your assets. So when considering that appropriate asset allocation strategy, keep in mind that your time horizon can extend from 20 to 30 plus years, and then inflation will affect the purchasing power of the income that you receive. You know, far too often I talk to people that are nearing retirement or in retirement, and they're investors that want to implement an overly conservative strategy because of concern of losing their retirement principal. However, this approach overlooks the effects of inflation and can lead to shortfalls in income during the later years of retirement. So it feels good when your money's not going down early in retirement. You're like, wow, like it's not going down, the market's going down. But guess what? There's a higher likelihood that you might outlive your assets and have to rely on your kids or something like that to bail you out. That's not sort of probably what any of you are here to learn about. So this slide kind of illustrates that point and shows you that even well into your retirement, as you move from left to right, from more aggressive to more conservative, equities can still remain a component of your portfolio to provide growth potential and hedge against inflation. So you can see in the beginning, heavily stocks, very little bonds, very little cash. As you move more towards retirement, there is still a slice. I mean, maybe it's 20%, 25% in equities. And so, you know, when I see someone that's got a 100% bond portfolio or fixed income portfolio with the rest in cash, you know, I try to get them to kind of bump that up a little bit just to talk and think about and consider what the effect will be of inflation, the fact that the returns might not keep up with inflation. And so if you're thinking, Bradley, well, what's the right blend of stocks, cash, and equities? The standard approach is for the average person with average risk tolerance for their stage of life, take 100, subtract your age. That's the percentage that should be invested in equity. The rest of it should be invested in fixed income or cash. So for example, I'm 29 years old. The standard approach would be 71% of my portfolio should be in equities, diversified, of course, not just in one or two companies, but well diversified. And then the remaining 29% would be in bonds and, and cash. Now, if you're someone that's 60 or 70, you would flip that and say, okay, 40 or, uh, you know, uh, 40 or 30% of your portfolio should be in equity. The rest of it should be in fixed income or cash. So again, as you get older, that percentage is going to go more towards fixed income and cash. But again, there's still a place for equities in your portfolio. Now, here's another risk that you have to manage. Withdrawing too much from your retirement nest egg, especially early on, 
can increase your chances of running out of money prematurely. You also want to avoid unnecessarily sacrificing the retirement that you envision by being overly cautious with your spending. So again, that's the trade-off, right? You don't want to over-withdraw in the beginning, right? Now that's money that you can no longer invest for the long term. But you also don't want to live like a miser in retirement. You, you worked your whole career to be able to live comfortably. So you want to kind of find what that balance is. So what is an appropriate sort of withdrawal rate from your overall retirement portfolio year over year? One rule of thumb, one rule of thumb says start with a 4% withdrawal rate and increase it annually for inflation. But I realize that each person's situation is different. So your withdrawal rate is going to be based on your asset allocation, your life expectancy, and when you retire and your portfolio's value. So there's no sort of one right answer that says you should absolutely be pulling out this much. For some people, that's 3%. For some people, it's 5%, right? And I'd encourage you, if you want to learn more about the 4% rule, just Google 4% rule Investopedia. There's a great article uh, that was published on May 1st, 2020, uh, that sort of really talks about why the 4% rule makes sense. Now, at the same time, withdrawal rates much above 5%, especially in the early years of retirement, might increase the likelihood that you deplete your assets permanently. So consider using a conservative withdrawal rate as possible, particularly early on. And so as you can see in this graphic, assuming about a 6% annual return on your investments that you have in your portfolio and a 4% inflation assumption, you can get away with withdrawing 4% of your portfolio every year for 32 years in retirement without actually running out of money. But you can see if you start to actually withdraw a lot higher percentage, the amount of money that you will be able to have without before depleting it significantly decreases the number of years that you can actually withdraw from. So again, we're assuming your money that's still invested is earning about a 6% return. Of course, if the investment returns are higher, then that would increase the number of years. If the investment returns are lower, that actually would decrease the number of years. But assuming a very conservative 6% annual return every year, and inflation factored in, you could essentially get away with living 32 years off of a 4% withdrawal rate. Now, finally, this brings us to our healthcare cost risk for which retired people find is a very much a major, a major concern. We're talking in three weeks time back at the East Brunswick Public Library. I'm doing a session on long-term care. I'm not gonna get too much into detail about how that all works. We'll talk about that in three weeks time, but you might have Medicare, Right. But estimates suggest that the average 65-year-old couple to retire would need about $285,000 allocated just to cover health care expenses in retirement. And these projections don't even include eye exams, dental procedures, and other costs that are not covered by Medicare. Nor do they include care for a skilled nursing facility or a home care provider, except under certain circumstances and for limited time periods. So these are expenses you have to plan for on your own. All right. No one, especially if you're healthy, if you're in your 40s or 50s, you're healthy, you don't really see anything coming. No one ever foresees something popping up, right? God forbid you have a heart attack or you get high cholesterol or just something happens. You want to make sure you're planning for the eventuality that at some point you're going to have medical expenses. Now, all of this might seem very daunting. I've thrown a lot at you. There's a lot of things to consider. And without help, it can be. But I want you to know that there are ways to think through and address these issues. Now, before you develop a strategy, you should start by quantifying your objectives. That means a thorough discussion of what you want in retirement, what you, an assessment of how much it's going to cost, right? Myself, any financial advisor, someone that sort of knows what they're doing and can help you project this out, can help you know, project those expenses and look at potential sources of income, right? Whether it's savings or social security or pension plans, et cetera. If there's a surplus, congratulations, you're well on your way to having a very comfortable retirement. And if there's a gap, 
you can use someone that knows what they're doing to help explore options that might be available to you, right? Maybe you have to bump up the risk that you're willing to take on to kind of make up for that gap, right? There aren't any ways to just magically make money, uh, but there are ways to kind of, whether it's decreasing your taxable income, getting more money back from the government when it comes to taxes, or increasing the returns that you have in your portfolio. Now, some of these options don't even include investing. In fact, one very effective way to simply to, to increase your retirement income is to simply postpone retirement for a few years. So I don't know if any of you know this, but retirement benefits differ based on when you start to claim benefits. So delaying retirement can have a huge impact on your Social Security payments that you get. So this chart assumes that full retirement age is 66 years old if you were born between 1943 and 1954. And so postponing your retirement benefits uh, to translating into more money in later in life. And if you live to ripe old age, this additional money each month that you get paid can be a real benefit. So you can see, if you start collecting Social Security as early as 62, you get essentially 75% of what you'd be owed. If you're able to wait until 70 years old before you actually start to collect, you're now going to get paid 132%, all right? 1.32 times what you would have otherwise been eligible for in Social Security. So again, you can see here, there is an incentive. You're willing to work a little bit more, a couple more years, it can be a nice little payoff if you live you know, 20, 30, 40 years past retirement. Now, each year that you delay your retirement can increase your retirement assets significantly and possibly allow you to take the income that you desire during a shorter but more fulfilling retirement. So in this example, the individual's retirement assets would increase by over 50% by delaying retirement for just five years. And so we're assuming the individual has about $800,000 in assets, contributes about $500 per month, and earns about 8% per year on their investments, you can see that that $800,000, if they just wait another five years of working, contributing $500 a month, would be worth almost 50% more than if they just sort of work an additional year or just take that $800,000 and immediately go into retirement. So you can see, if you're willing to work a few extra years, it can make a huge difference in the assets that you have by the time you decide to fully retire. Now, another thought that many retirees are now thinking about, especially as they feel more vibrant and younger, and you know, just people are healthier in general, is the number of people working part-time during their retirement has been increasing. So for some, the additional income is necessary to supplement other sources of income, while others can continue to work because of personal satisfaction or the opportunity to possibly do something different now that they're in their later stage of life. So whatever the reason for continuing to work during retirement, the income derived from this work can prevent you from having to rely too heavily upon your investments early in retirement, right? During the early years, you can let those investments continue to work for you, let the cash flow from your paycheck pay your early expenses in retirement, and let that sort of compound interest take over. Now, if necessary, you could also use this in combination with delaying your retirement to better improve your chances of meeting your objectives. So again, whether you delay your retirement, keep working full-time, or you work part-time, it's a really good thing to do if you want to potentially set yourself up for a longer retirement, if you live longer. So let's take a minute to just review what we talked about here today. We've first talked about identifying and quantifying what your retirement goals are. So you actually have a realistic target to aim for, right? We want to factor in, you know, what are your expenses going to look like? What is your lifestyle going to look like? Do you want to move states? Do we have to factor in the tax implications from a state income tax perspective? If you lived in Florida, you're not going to have no state income tax, but you're going to have higher property tax. If you live in New Jersey, you're going to have high property taxes, high income taxes, right? So those are things to consider. Next, you want to consider taking an inventory of all the potential sources of income from Social Security to your 401k to your traditional and Roth IRA to any taxable brokerage investments you have 
right? And other savings accounts. Now, finally, you want to you're going to want to compare your projections to determine if there's a gap or a surplus, right? If there's a surplus, that means that your potential sources of income are going to outweigh your expenses for X number of years. If there's a gap, it means based on your projection of expenses, there's a decent chance you're going to run out of money. And so when we do financial plans for clients and we look at retirement planning, we're able to kind of simulate a projection of here's what this would look like. And there's, let's say, a 90% chance of you achieving your retirement goals, which essentially means dying with at least $1 in your account, right? That's essentially our definition of success when it comes to having enough money. You want that number to be in the 90, 95%. If you've got a success rate or success probability of 50%, that means there's a 50% chance that you end up running out of money before sort of the end of your life that we project out. Now, either way, a financial professional can help you kind of create an appropriate asset allocation for your investment portfolio and monitor your progress over time so that you don't have to play this guessing game of do I have enough money, do I not? So I want to thank everyone for attending our seminar here today. We're going to do some Q&A. As, as Kathy mentioned, you know, my name is Bradley Basker. I'm a financial advisor at Morgan Stanley. In this virtual environment, I'm speaking to pretty much everyone virtually. So if, whether it's a phone call, a Zoom call, you want to chat with me. Um, it is National Financial Literacy Month. So one of the things that I've committed to this month is to conduct at least 100 complimentary financial consultations to anyone on any topic, whether it's retirement, investing, what's happening with GameStop, anything you're reading in the news, you can ha happily put time on my calendar, 30 minutes. I'm happy to talk to you and see how I can be helpful. If you just Google my name, Morgan Stanley, you'll find my website. And there's a button that says schedule meeting at no cost or obligation to anyone. I especially like to help folks out from the East Brunswick community because of you know the fact that you've invited me to do these seminars on a continued basis. Um, and again, feel free to connect with me on LinkedIn, Twitter, Facebook, whatever's the easiest way, take down my number. And again, Kathy will follow up with some more information. And the last thing I'll say before I turn it back to Kathy for Q&A is we will be sending out a fact sheet. That's a two-page summary of our presentation here today. So if let's say someone you know isn't able to watch the recording or you just wanna sort of summarize what you've learned here today, we will be sending out a two-page PDF that just summarizes in bullet form some of the topics we discussed. So I'm gonna turn the floor back over to Kathy. I uh, hope there's some questions that have been coming through. Otherwise, feel free to unmute yourself and ask me a question live on the air. Right. So um, I'm actually going to pause uh, the recording during the Q&A session. So that way you can, uh, if people want to unmute themselves and ask their questions, they can feel more comfortable doing so. So thank you, Bradley, for taking the time to present on this topic and to answer our questions and also for doing this financial wellness series with us. So the next program in the series is planning for long-term care on Wednesday, April 28th at 12 p.m. noon. So if you registered for today's program, you're automatically registered for this upcoming program. Also, the library will be holding an information session on Medicare with Mike Salem, who is a Medicare planning specialist, next Tuesday, April 13th at 7 p.m. For more information or to register, check the library's event page at ebpl.org calendar. So thank you everyone for joining us for today's talk and take care and stay safe. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this week's Encore presentation. To join us for live programs or to learn more about the East Brunswick Public Library, visit our website at ebpl.org.